Hello and welcome to My PGCE, a podcast documenting my journey as a trainee teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James B. I would normally start an episode with good morning and I'd be saying good morning on Saturday morning. But today it's good afternoon on Sunday afternoon. It's been a busy weekend and one where I felt very tired. So only now do I have time to record an episode and it's only going to be a quick episode. It's more just checking in than a full-blown episode. And as I explained at the beginning of last week's episode, I do plan to change the format of the podcast and I'm still undecided as to exactly what the new format should be. So this week, I won't be doing an overview and I won't really be zooming in. Instead, I'm going to look quickly at what were my targets for the week. Then I'm going to raise some questions, but leave them dangling. And finally, I'll check in briefly with my mental health. So my targets for this week were first to chunk my lessons a bit more. So whereas before I would give one perhaps long-winded explanation at the start of a lesson before setting students off to do their own work, this week I was to focus on breaking it up a little bit more, give them a smaller, dare I say more concise explanation get them to do a few questions, then bring them back for another explanation, the next one, get them to do a few more questions, and so on and so forth. It breaks up the lesson a little bit more, and it can be good for lower ability sets. I mean, not necessarily for lower ability sets. It's better for sets who perhaps have a harder time paying attention and for focusing for long periods because you keep bringing them back in for another explanation. I also wanted to focus on the quality of my explanations to make sure that they were as clear as possible and to target my questioning a little bit more rather than just doing scatterfire questions at whoever's name I could remember in the moment or whoever caught my eye just to be a bit more focused and ask, in particular, the weaker students, the ones who I know struggle, because if they've got the idea, then I can be pretty confident that most of the students in the room have gotten the idea. And I had, I believe, at least some success meeting those targets, although in my first couple of lessons, I had some classroom management issues, but that was fine because it helped me and my mentor form my targets for the second half of the week which were to be explicit on expectations for behaviour and to follow through on consequences and sanctions for not meeting those expectations. And again, I think I had some success meeting those targets as well. When I was being strict, I kind of felt like I wasn't really being me. But that's a trick I think teachers have to learn. Because 
I don't think I'm strict, let alone a disciplinarian. But there are some classes that need a strict teacher. A teacher who's going to enforce routines and structure in an uncompromising fashion. So for me, it was very much a performance. And it's a performance that I first tried this week. And I think it was okay. The class was definitely better behaved than they had been. So I was heading in the right direction. And hopefully the more often I put on this performance, and the more practice I get, the better at it I'll become. So those were my first and second set of targets for this week. And like I said, I think I had at least some success meeting all of them, which is encouraging. So now I'm just going to raise some questions that have arisen already. They arose earlier in the week. I'm just going to report them now. And they're not even all questions. Some of them are just observations. They're the sorts of things I'd normally zoom in on. First, what is the purpose of exam results? I learnt this week that that question doesn't have a blanket answer. The answer varies from individual to individual. Does that mean then that teachers should teach every student in their class differently? I don't think so, because that sounds like an unsustainable approach to teaching. I think it would be better, and this is perhaps the true craft of teaching, it takes many years of experience to master, I think it would be better to be able to teach one lesson which accommodates for 30 individuals, one lesson where each student can take what they want from it, I think that must be the optimal situation. Second observation. We know what's best for you. That's often the attitudes of teachers towards their students. And it's no doubt true. Because many of their students are quite young children. Who know very little, let alone what's in their own best interests. I guess my question here is. When does that stop being the case? When do you get to a point in your life when you're qualified to make decisions in your own best interest and not delegate those and not rely on a more experienced, knowledgeable adult, say? Because there seems to be a point just after school where you go from relying on adults to having to rely on yourself. And I think that for many young people, it can be too much too soon. And it causes problems, I think, at university. Anyway, that's an observation there. Anything I allow in the classroom, I'm telling the students that that's okay. This is something my mentor said to me this week. And this even applies to students putting their hand up and saying, sir, Putting your hand up is fine, but if each and every student in the class shouts, sir, then I've got a real problem. So this got me thinking about exactly the sort of behaviour that I want in my classroom, in detail, and how I need to crack down on any unwelcome behaviour, be it big or small, because otherwise each and every student in the room will think it's okay. 
And if they all start doing it, then we have a problem. I mean, this is basically the universalizability principle in moral philosophy. Forgive me for a moment. But the idea is that if everyone does something and it leads to problems, then no one should do it. Take the pandemic, for example. People may reason, oh, it's fine for me just to go for a walk around the block when I should be self-isolating. You know, I want to stretch my legs. Just want to get some fresh air. And while that may not cause any problems, if only you went for a walk, if everyone went for a walk when they should be isolating, then you've got a real problem on your hands. And therefore, no one should go for a walk. You should stay inside. You should continue to self-isolate. And it's the same in the classroom. If a student does something that cannot be universalized within the classroom without leading to a problem, then they shouldn't do it. Next, I'm coming to realize that what accounts for most good behavior in most classrooms are things that can't really be observed, especially not in a single lesson and especially not by a trainee who probably won't know exactly what they should be looking for. So I'm realising that good behaviour stems from well-established routines and good relationships. But those routines and relationships may have been years in the making, and you can't observe years. On the contrary, a trainee gets to see an hour or so every so often. So perhaps this is why classroom management can be a sticking point for trainees. I certainly know it is for myself. Next, when I was doing maths at school, I was in the top set. And the general assumption was that every mark on the paper, on the GCSE paper, was up for grabs. Nothing was beyond our reach. I've now seen that in lower sets, students are taught to answer only a certain subset of the questions on the paper in order to maximise the number of marks that they can achieve. So instead of trying to learn everything a little bit and risk spreading yourself too thin, instead you focus on certain topics and learn them very well and secure those marks in the exam. But if you have this approach, then as a teacher, you have something extra to teach. So you may be teaching fewer topics, but you also then have to teach your students how to distinguish those topics in the exam, how to identify the questions they can do and the questions they can't do. Because otherwise you run the risk of a student attempting to do a question which they haven't been prepared for and wasting a lot of time trying to do it. And that's a real challenge, no doubt. How to teach students to identify the questions that they can do. Okay, the next observation, the next thing I want to say, came by way of a teacher who I observed for the first time this week. And he was teaching simplifying fractions. And he referenced Frozen 2 because there's a song in Frozen 2 called Just Do the Next Right Thing. 
and he was trying to get his students not to fixate on the final answer, but just to make the next right step towards the final answer. And if you take enough of those steps, if you just do the next right thing enough times, then soon enough you will be at the answer. And I thought this was great because so often I think students look at a question and if they don't know the answer immediately, they get stuck. And a large part of teaching mathematics is teaching students how to chop a problem up into sub-problems and to just do the next right thing. Okay, final observation. This is a tip I'm going to try and put into practice next week. Often, when the volume in one of my classrooms increases beyond an acceptable limit, I raise my voice. I raise my voice even louder so that it can be heard above the clamour, normally to tell students to be quiet. But I was advised, instead, try speaking more quietly. Because if the students are making a load of noise, but I make even more noise and can still be heard over the noise, then they've got no incentive, actually, to quieten down. Because they can still hear me. They can have their own conversations, and they can still hear me bellowing over the top. So they've no reason to stop having those conversations. But if I speak more quietly, and they can't hear what I'm saying, then they'll have to be more quiet, so that they can hear me. Now, the assumption here, of course, is that they actually want to hear what I'm saying. And that may be uh, the real trick here. But I'll give that a go this week and see how it goes. So those were my main observations for the week. Now, finally, how's my mental health been? I'd say there's nothing new to report. I think I've spoken about this in previous episodes. But... I feel that I have a completely new relationship with my stress levels. For a very long time, I was trying to minimise my stress in order to safeguard my mental health. But the only way to minimise your stress is to minimise the number of challenges you have in your life. And without challenge, you have no sense of purpose. And without a sense of purpose, that's when you leave yourself vulnerable to depression, in my experience. And so now, Even though I am stressed, I don't stress about being stressed because I now think that it's just a sign that I'm overcoming challenges in the pursuit of something that I think is really worthwhile. Okay, that's the end of the episode. It was a bit of a hodgepodge this week. Like I said, I still haven't decided exactly what format the podcast will take from here on out but hopefully I'll settle on something soon. I hope you've had a good week, and I hope the upcoming week is good too. If you like the episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at MyPGCEPod or email MyPGCEPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash mypgcepod and helping fund both the podcast and my PGCE course. Thank you and talk again soon.